Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and thank you for joining me for show number 24. I have a beautiful guest today, Malcolm Rands. He is the founder of EcoStore. This is a brand that many Australian and New Zealander listeners will know and love. I find their dishwashing machine powder and dishwashing liquid to be probably two of my favourite products out there. Now, I've brought Malcolm on the show because I find him to be a really incredible big picture thinker. You know, sometimes we're so caught up in um, in this this life of of seeing what's right in front of us and not thinking of a long game, thinking big picture enough. And I find thinking big picture actually helps us relax about the little details and not worry so much or fuss so much about whether every tiny perfect thing is right, but more to be thinking about the overarching direction of everything in terms of what we want our big picture to look like, whether that's our life or a goal if you have your own business or your a professional goal or indeed a, a humongous goal like uh, making our planet a more beautiful, safe and non-toxic place. So that's how big Malcolm's goal is and he's got so many brilliant ideas about how to bring that big picture to life in the everyday. Obviously, EcoStore was one of the, the first big, big eco brands and he's going to share the inception of it and how it came to be and, you know, why he ended up deciding on investment to, to be able to help him grow that business and then sort of, if you like, pave the way for some of his bigger picture ideas about making society a more connected, um, happy place. Uh, there's so much fantastic, interesting stuff that comes out of our our chat today. And I hope you love it as much as I did. And here's Malcolm. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Malcolm. Thanks, Alex. Lovely to talk to you. Now, we caught up recently in uh, Sydney and uh, we had a great chat and it was at that point that I thought, oh my gosh, I've absolutely got to have Malcolm on the show because one of our favourite styles of shows that we do here on the Low Tox Life podcast is to really go deep into some of the most ethical uh, brands that exist and I really believe that EcoStore is right up there at the top. So it's super exciting to pick your brain today and share your story with the world. Now, can we start with where you started, which is in a teeny tiny little permaculture village in New Zealand? Is that where you actually grew up and can you tell us a little bit about those very, very early days? No, I, I surprised myself almost ending up there because in, <clears throat> in my youth, I was fairly conventional. Um, I was very shy and sort of, um, as I just mentioned, my first ever job was actually in the 70s playing in a glam rock band professionally. So I used to have huge hair and high heels and, and bright red velvet bell bottoms and makeup even, you know. So it was sort of the early Bowie Skyhook type days. Yep. And went, did my OE, spent a lot of time in Australia. I actually worked in St. Vincent's Hospital in the A&E there. Mm-hmm. So I know um, Sydney very well, like a second home to me over there. Came back um, from traveling the world for about four years, including Australia. And I ended up living with my mum and dad, as you do. Yep. And I wanted to be sweet to my mother. So I decided one day, why don't I dig her a flower and veggie garden in the backyard? I don't know why I thought of this. I just thought it would be a nice thing to do. 
I think it was also trying to get grounded after being travelled for so long. Yes. So I went to the library and the book that just fell into my hands was Organic Gardening. Right. I didn't look it out. It just fell into my hands off the shelf. And I read that and I thought, well, why would you do it any other way? Yeah. And so I started having a garden there. I loved it. When I bought our first house, I, I actually made sure it had a huge backyard and I had like a, a mini little farm in the middle of, of the city, you know, chickens and orchards and veggie gardens and things. I was taken up north to a town called Bangarei to help with a festival up there on my creative side. And at that organisation, I met a lot of other artists who are into social change and, and the environment. And that group of us set up New Zealand's first permaculture eco-village in 1986. We're actually the second one to do that in the world. The first one, of course, was in Australia. Yeah. But we were number two. <laughs> wow, amazing. And and so, yes, so you grew up a little bit differently to permaculture. What do you, why do you think the light switched on for you so simply and quickly? Is it because you're a logician? Like do you just hear a fact, it makes sense, and you go, well, that just makes sense and that's the way we've got to go? Honestly, you know, we all get that. Sometimes you 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 see something, and in, in some part of your brain, I think you'd already realised it, but no one's actually put it into words. Yes. And um, like a lot of the work I'm doing around village and community is as out of a book called A Pattern Language, which was all about going around the world to see how people have always lived together. And all the way through that, they have little examples, and it's the same thing happens. You see this example of how you can live, and as soon as you see it, that's right. I'd actually never spoken that out. But as soon as you see it, you think, that is so right. And, and there's quite a few things in life like that. And, and I, I've just, I suppose, got the bravery to say, well, I'm going to go there then. Mm, nice. I'll give one out and I'll do that. Now, something that you've done super, super successfully is combine activism with entrepreneurship. Which one came first, activist or entrepreneur? I... I was raised hard by my parents. They, um, like when I was um, seven years old, I wanted a bicycle. And mm-hmm. Dad said, okay, that's great. So he made me build a little um, hand cart with wheels and go down and start a, a paper run. Wow. <laughs> and then earn the money on the paper run so I could get a bicycle. Then I could upgrade to a bigger paper run because I had a bicycle now. And so I've, I've been working since I'm seven years old, basically. Yeah. Well, I, I'm really glad you said that because uh, my husband and I didn't have much financial literacy growing up and it's something we definitely want to instill in our son. And something that we do with him is just no pocket money. This is just not a thing. Yeah. It's not something he's going to get. And he earns whatever his age is per do- per hour. So he was very excited to turn seven from six earlier this year because that meant that he got a pay rise, a dollar an hour. <laughs> and it's really working so far, i got to say. Like the kid knows and he's got a huge sense of responsibility around possessions. He knows if he, you know, loses one of his lunch boxes, they're really expensive, gorgeous stainless steel ones that he has to pay for it. And it, I think we forget that wow. our kids. Wow. Well, but like we're bringing them into the world. We're not creating their, their world. And I do that. Not with... people brave enough to do that. Well done. Well, well done. I, yeah. 
It's, it's going well. He's very happy. He's super loved. We have at least half an hour's cuddles a day. It's not like I'm a hard ass, but it's, you know, I just think boundaries are so important. And um, I'm, I'm excited I, to know I, that that's how you started, Malcolm, because if it can be as successful as you one day, we'll be winning. It's all good. And both my daughters, who are 26 and 29, are out in the world at the moment, and they're both living on the smell of an oily rag. Mm. And and I'm not being mean there. I just think it's such a good skill because, mm. you know, the whole entitlement and, and not knowing the values of things actually bites you the rest of your life. It absolutely does. Feeling like you're owed something is yeah. really just one of the biggest hindrances in your life. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I'm just so proud of my daughters that they can live on, you know, next to nothing. I'm, I'm, that's all, I'm really proud of them. Yeah, nice. Okay, so where shall we go next? So you obviously had a bit of an, an entrepreneurial streak in that you, you know that you needed to work hard to make money. But when did, it, when did it occur to you that you were an ideas person, that you really wanted to bring big changing ideas to life? Well, I was working up north in the, in the arts, the community arts, and that's around the idea of um, not trying to drive people to the ballet or the opera, but it's around the opposite of that. It's that we all are creative mm-hmm. and kind of lost the practice. So we, could, we should all be able to sing, we should all be able to dance, all those things, but now we just have become audience Yeah. where our, our grandparents would all at least they'd sing once a week in church, for example. Mm. So therefore it's around... And, and the other thing that I've been fascinated about is, is culture and, and why different regions have different cultures. Like why are Kiwis different to Australians? We should be the same. We've both come from Europe and we're both down this part of the planet, but we each have our own cultural differences. And we're, and I, I love that sort of stuff. I love mm. it. So um, the work I did on that, I did this amazing festival in Whangarei where I was trying to bring Christmas back to the right part of the year, which is in the middle of winter. Uh-huh, <laughs> yeah. Very big winter, big winter festival. I got the whole town completely excited. What I did is I trucked in snow from Mount Ropehu, which is like 500 kilometres away, and set up a working ski resort in the middle of a town in New Zealand, which is almost subtropical. It's kind of like the same sort of climate as just above Sydney. Wow. And I had a working ski resort right in the middle of the town. And it just went off. And the idea was I was going to do it every year, get make Whangarei into a festival town and bring wealth into the poorest part of New Zealand. But then what happened is the committee who was running the finances, because I couldn't do the finances myself, had a big fight halfway through the next year when I was working on it, and they just cancelled the project. Bang. And that was that was the turning part in my life. And I thought, this can never happen again. So I thought I spent a whole year going very deep into who I am, what motivates me, what, like sometimes I can do miracles, what happens when I'm in that space. And in the end, I came up with a plan of setting up an ethical business and it had to be as ethical as possible because I knew if I've got secrets, it's, I find it very uninspiring and it slows me down. So I wanted to have no secrets at all in the business. That was one thing. And then at arm's length, this business would fund the foundation, the Fairground Foundation. So in the end, EcoStore and Fairground was almost one of the world's first social enterprises because I came up with that plan in 1993. Wow. 
And so EcoStore obviously didn't start as a you've got a little office and you're shipping to supermarkets. It started much more organically. Um, supermarkets came later. Was it your yourself and your wife, Melanie, just kind of um, cottage business out of the garage? Is that what the beginnings were? Exactly right, exactly right. I mean, living in the village gave me the inspiration because – as a group, we are in an amazing place, and our back boundary is like a, a national park and close to the coast. And all the water that comes into our 150 acres is probably as pure as any water on the planet. And we gave ourselves a challenge in the village. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the water leaving the property was just as pure as the water coming in? And I must admit, we're a little bit up ourselves back then, you know, young, and we thought we were pretty shit hot, you know, and, and you know, we'll, we'll show the local farmers how to do it, you know, we know organics, we're, we're pretty clever. And our, our land practices were pretty good, but what we hadn't thought about, and this is in the 80s, and organics people haven't, what about the water coming out of our houses? There's mm. no one thought about that. You know, if you're in the city, it just goes into the drain, you never think about it. And so we all started looking at, okay, what's in your laundry what's in your dish what's in your spray and wipe what's in your shampoo and we were horrified to find we had more toxic chemicals inside our beautiful homes than what we've been campaigning not to put on the land mm. we had worse at home so that was a light bulb so different we've been thinking about it for about eight or so years before i started setting up EcoStore. so i had that knowledge and what you'll find is the world is of information there's so much information out there it's just so much noise you just can't see what's there but once you know exactly what you want your vision becomes like a fine needle and you can start looking around suddenly i saw there was a little person down the in the waikato who was making a lovely little dishwash liquid there was someone up further north who was making a lovely pet product i gathered all those together into a mail order catalog Mm-hmm. So we could stay at home. We had no overheads. Believe it or not, our family was of four was living on twenty thousand dollars a year back then. Wow! Because we had no mortgage, we had a lot of our own food, and yeah. So mail order catalog, and then just started. My big expense was actually the catalog and posting that out, and and we could work from home. Exactly what you said. We dug out under our house, made a little warehouse, made all these products together, and before you knew it, we were just taking off. Mm. And so obviously it's not just from one day under the, under the house and then next day supermarkets. You needed to start really building this as consciously as a business. What were some of the first steps you took to ensure that your ethical stance was protected as the business grew? You know what? It was, it's just trial and error. And what I found out, Every time, because I, I thought I was going to be a bit of a nutter, you know, coming into this, working with other businesses. And I even actually bought my first ever suit in case I'd have to go into, you know, talk to banks and things. I don't think I even, I don't think I ever wore it, actually. And, 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 and the funny thing is, is every time I compromised, because I thought, oh, well, maybe I'd better compromise here. It was actually the wrong thing to do. Mm, and I've found that in my business, respect, 100%. Yeah, it didn't even respect me for it, you know. And mm. so... Really, our point of difference has been our, our ethics, it's been our transparency, it's been that we're just right up front, and, and people actually do respect that. Mm. My mistakes, and if I went back again, doing it again, is I would have probably been even stauncher. But when I'm saying that staunch, it's about, I'm talking here about 
my own behavior. The other side of it is I'm completely unjudgmental person. I never tell anyone else what to do. And, and I truly am unjudgmental. People want to go and use, you know, nasty stuff in their homes. It's their right, you know. Because mm. a lot of people who are bringing the right stuff into the planet, they, they're too preachy, they're too judgmental, they're too, I'm right and you're wrong. And that is Agree. the worst possibly do. And, Makes and people run a mile. Yep. Oh, it is. And it's, it's us and them. And, and so the other thing is we have been incredibly consumer-centric from the beginning. When I started, my big problem was a couple of problems was one, which I call the hippie grunge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything in my industry, you know, is that sort of sort of slightly dirty, off 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 brown look and, and sort of immature, you know. All the packaging. I don't know if you if you saw them in the in the um eighties and nineties it, it was pretty awful, eh? Well, I basically, I knew that those hippie grunge products existed. I didn't really look into them because they didn't tell me the story about who I believed I was. So I just never looked at them. And, you know, I wanted something beautiful. I wanted something to make me feel beautiful. I wanted something that smelt nice. And obviously my definition of what smells nice has drastically changed today once I've identified synthetic fragrance versus natural I, I would run a mile from any of those um, synthetics these days because they actually make me feel sick. But back then, you know, no one was teaching us, no one was teaching us as consumers in a in a positive, inviting way that ignited curiosity for why there might be a better way than the mainstream way. You know, it just wasn't happening. You're right. And in fact, I don't think it was happening until about six years ago, if I'm to be really... If I, if I really think about it, it really didn't start happening till the explosion of social media and inviting communities kind of starting to to help people transition and still find great things. Yep, well, we've been, longer than six, been around longer than six years, actually, mm. but um, you can find us in time. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> yeah, but no, then, no, no. that's it. So, so going back to what I was saying is um, the other problem, this is how far back it was, was um, people were worried about pollution. Do you remember pollution? No one yep. talks about that anymore, do they? Mm. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's all it's all global warming that changed now. But and people would say, "I'd love to make a difference, but it's just too hard." You know, they don't work. They're too expensive. Like you know, you almost have to wear a hair shirt to do the right thing. Mm. Yeah. And so our philosophy, right from the beginning, right from '93, is that we make it easy and pleasurable for you. To make a difference yeah that's our, and that's our philosophy and so when you're talking about pleasurable then exactly like that. things have got to look beautiful they've got to smell beautiful they've got to work well and easy you know we had to end up in your supermarket because you know you don't want to buy your dishwashing liquid by mail order i mean that's just nuts you know <laughs> so yeah. you see by having that philosophy and and if something's easy and pleasurable people will make the change you know they really will Absolutely. Now, easy and pleasurable. So I've spoken to you about this before when we've caught up, and that is that you guys test things until you're absolutely sure that it's as good as in terms of performance, whatever the equivalent toxic thing is, right? Exactly. And in fact, there's there's, there's a couple of products which people have been asking us to have for ages, and we've actually got some pretty good ones, but we won't bring them out. And the example is um, like a deodorant. Mm-hmm. Weird, you know, that's nasty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the element up against in your armpit. 
Mm. Yeah, seriously, really. Sitting there, it's so dangerous. And we can do a lovely one, but the trouble is that they are actually antiperspirants, which is everyone's used to. Mm. So that that actually just stops you sweating. And so we can't do that naturally. But what we can do, we can do a deodorant, which is actually killing the um, little bacteria that form in your sweat because Mm -hmm. it's actually food for them. And that's where the smell comes from. But what we can do, we can only do that for six hours with something natural before it wears off. Mm-hmm. And so people want their deodorant to work for about 10 hours. And so because of that, we won't put a deodorant out because we don't want the first EcoStore product that you pick up to be this deodorant. Oh, I use that EcoStore stuff. It doesn't work. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And it affects the whole brand. Mm. So maybe we should be putting out a second brand saying, this works pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I reckon what you guys have been doing thus far is working just fine. It's better to make people wait and have something awesome than yeah, yeah. to get something out just so you can get something out and then have it not perform as well. Yeah. I know. So that's, but the trouble is it hurts me because it's actually, you know, people are, are doing damage with their jabs. They really are. Mm. Now, like think back to those early days, think back to your desire to create this foundation, which we'll get on to talking about in a little bit, and think back to like fulfilling mail order catalog orders. Did you ever really, did you have a specific desire for it to grow, to be a huge brand in, well, it's at least in the Asia Pac region, it's a huge brand now. It, was that a really clear goal or was it something that you kind of just wished for and secretly hoped for or was there a real strategy around that growth? Right at the beginning, I knew that if there was going to be excess money in a business to fund a foundation, it had to be quite huge. Yeah, okay. It had, it had to be multi, multi-million. I mean, there's a thing they, they call the three Bs that you get a company to a certain size, you know, 20 million or so, and the owner has time for the, the beach the the beamer and the boats, you know, and then they're happy they stop. <laughs> yeah. But we needed so I knew right from the beginning this had to be outrageously big. And and the good thing is is that I could go for it without feeling any greed because I actually wasn't doing it for for you know making myself money. I don't I don't need a super yacht or anything. I I've got quite simple taste. But I knew the more successful it would be the more chance would that a foundation which can start doing some amazing good on the planet would be successful. So, because it, it's interesting with a lot of artists and greenies, they've got this thing that money is evil. Mm, and, let's talk about that because that's a huge issue. I think I grew yeah. up thinking money was evil because I was one of those kids who was like a massive Martin Luther King fan and I had a Prejudice is Ignorance poster on my wall and, you know, I was really into like suffering for goodness. And yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. I, and I don't know why why we have to suffer for good things to happen. Why do you think that is? And, well, the other thing too is that if you're doing well in business, it means you've been robbing someone, you know, yeah, normal. Okay. Don't, you know, normal yeah. people don't do well in business. It's only only the nasty, mm. tricky ones. That, so, to me, what I've been always well, I've thought for a long time. I don't know when I thought about you know how long time is is that you don't call it money anymore. You actually call it energy mm-hmm. because all money is is how we control energy. It's the energy to get people to do things, or it's the energy to to get. Solid things. It's it's just how we manage energy. And I always say, well, you know, who who do you want to have all the energy on the planet? Do you want you know to get yes. things done? Is 
going to be us guys or it should be those guys. So when you take the word money out of it, you just think of it as what it actually money does, is how it controls what happens. Who wants to be in control of us, us or the bloody Trumps, you know? Mm. <laughs> you said the T word. I was wondering whether oh. that was coming. <laughs> oh. No, but it's, it's very, yeah, yeah, just you know, something in the paper quickly last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is very true. And I think I had a huge stumbling block and I often sort of giggle that it was my 13 years of Catholic private school education of, you know, that guilt message being guilt. instilled into me, as well as being a woman, as well as being someone who wanted to do good in the world. And those three things, I feel, really set me back financially in the sense that I felt that money was evil and money was something that that people who were either full of themselves or prepared to take shortcuts for the, you know, and, and not necessarily be a nice person all along the way, you know, the you're fired type, there you go there, I put a T word reference in myself. But yeah, and I think, you know, the first three years of my current business, I just didn't earn a thing. And then I remember specifically, like it was two in the morning and I was trying to get around to all these private messages and emails to all these people, significantly helping them improve their lives, but not advancing my own life or any of my own goals in any way. And I thought, wow, I've really actually got to to stand up for myself here and acknowledge that doing great work doesn't mean you need to be poor. No, and, and it was something right. that I really overcame. And I really like your explanation of energy because if you put more energy, i.e. money in this case, in the hands of good people, well, what are we going to do? We're going to be doing amazing social work for right. the greater good of all mankind. Like it's just, it just makes right. sense. So what I love about this social business, businesses with high ethical priorities or, you know, it, I think of the toilet paper brand who gives a crap giving 50% of its profits to clean water projects and there's many more businesses coming sprouting now doing these kinds of goods and spreading um spreading the profits uh and starting foundations as as you're discussing and it's just beautiful to see good people succeed because what does it mean it means we start seeing more good stuff happening and lordy knows we need more of that it's one of the things which i'm I, i mean there's a few things i'm proud of one thing believe it or not i'm i'm proud of all the the jobs I've created. Yeah. The other side, I mean, creating good work for families, you know, like there's hundreds of families now who have got, you know, well-paying, worthwhile jobs because of mm. what I started. And that's so cool. That's yeah, so cool. that's yeah. awesome. You know, and, and, and the other thing is, is that there's been for so many times there's been activist type people who's, oh, you should do this and you should do that, you know, and the way, and you know, people should change, but you actually need people to go ahead and show that it can be done. Exactly. So, I mean, for us to have made a, a business which is completely ethical, completely authentic, open, all the things that people said, and, and still make money, that is the brilliant thing because then you can't say, oh, well, you can't do that. You know, there's been this whole thing, it's either the economy or the environment. Yes. What a lot of... I know, why do we have to choose? No, it's nuts. And in fact, you know, there's a statistic showing that the um, countries with the highest environmental standards have actually got the most successful businesses. Well, there you I mean, go. that's the thing about capitalism. It, it, it just needs rules and then it <laughs> adapts and does really well. So yeah. I mean, if the rules are to actually mean that we don't destroy the planet, well, then capitalism will just adapt to that, you know. Yeah, exactly right. I was at the BBC World Future 
conference, the World Changing Ideas yep. yesterday. And yep. uh, the first guy that spoke was a NASA astronaut, Ron Garin. And uh, he was a really inspiring man. And he talked about his first NASA mission thinking that he was going to kind of, you know, be so the, the, the most exciting thing that he would be doing is obviously exploring outer space and the moon and everything that isn't the earth. But what he found when he got up there was actually he was seeing the beauty of the planet for the first time and and how much that changed his perspective on all of the issues when you're down here on the ground, you know, the colour of your skin, your political leanings, the type of business you've got, your car loan, all these, all this sort of stuff became completely irrelevant or at least way lower down on the, the pecking order of priorities when the planet is actually the most important thing to all of us and it unites us all because it's our home. And so he actually left NASA a few years later when he realised I need to spend the rest of my life helping people shift perspective on what's what should be front and centre of every business, every government, every society, is this mutual care for the, the home that we all call home, which is our planet Earth. And I was so inspired by that idea that it's it's actually just a perspective shift and we can build it into every business. Of course we can. Of course we can. Yeah. And I, and I, and I guess the other thing, which is completely with your business, is that Often it's not just looking after the planet, but it's often looking after our own health is the same the same thing. Ah, oh, totally. For people, for planet. And that's, people don't get that. And because and, unfortunately, humans aren't very good at ideas which are sort of out there. They, they need things to be really personal mm. before they become activated. Yeah. And so, I mean, we, I mean, I remember it happening that we were still back in the eco village before we'd moved to the city, um, you know, right back in say 94. And we started getting phone calls and letters. Hey, this is, have you ever got a letter? <laughs> we were still getting letters in 94, believe it or not. Wow. And so we're still getting emails and, and social media saying the same thing, saying to us, you know, since using your product, I don't sneeze anymore when I clean the house. This rash has disappeared. My eczema has gone away. Even my asthma has cleared up. And so we got this message really early on. And mm. we thought, oh, my God. It's unbelievable, oh. isn't it? I still remember that for me. Just as an education business, I remember like putting up two different apricots, one that was bright orange and one that was brown, and saying you want to go for the brown ones because they haven't been sprayed with all sorts of sulfur preservatives. And it was just like an awareness thing, you know, make a better choice while you're shopping, a really simple Facebook post. But a woman private messaged me two weeks later to say, you're not going to believe this, but um, my son doesn't have asthma anymore. That was his favourite snack. And we've switched to the brown ones and he simply doesn't get asthma attacks anymore. And, you know, you just go, whoa, you changed one pantry item and your whole life changed. That's, you know, it's crazy. I know, and 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 why that's important to us too is is that um <clears throat> we've become so paranoid now that what ends up on our, our consumer skins that we even reject fifty percent of the green tech plant based chemicals. We won't use them mm. because just because something's natural, it's the other thing. It doesn't mean it's safe. Oh yes, yeah. Snake venom is natural. 
mm. cyanide natural so so i mean it, it, it's got to be i mean there is a little play there that everything natural is safe but that's not particularly you've, you've got to have much more consciousness than that again yeah i mean sodium lauryl sulfate's a classic one that's completely plant-based but boy i wouldn't want that anywhere near any of our products i'll tell you that yeah no not on your skin for sure not on your skin no, no. now something that is in your products is palm oil and what i love about this is that you obviously identified it as a very useful ingredient but decided of course to use it with your strong ethics there had to be a new way and you've told me this story as we've caught up but I really would love for you to share because you know palm oil just gets given a blanket brush and fair enough because it's just sometimes easier than doing your own research but I believe in identifying brands who are doing things right and therefore you guys are and so that's all good. Could you please share with us the journey of you guys incorporating palm oil into your products? Sure. Well, I mean, let's go back to the basics of um, you've got three choices mm. if you're going to make products. One, you can use petroleum. Yeah. Two, you could use animal tallow, which is the fat that you get from the meatworks. Mm-hmm. Or three, you could use um, fats and oils from plants. Yeah. Okay. So straight away, we've only got one choice at Eco Store. <laughs> yeah. So no petroleum, no animal. Okay. So we're down to plants. Okay. So therefore, you have to look at, okay, what's the most plant that will give you the best production of oil for the least amount of land mm-hmm. and there's only one that's right out there and that is the palm oil plant see a lot of people say no palm oil and i get it you know because it's easy to if you vilify it it makes things black and white and if you're campaigning you don't want shades of grays you want yes. things to be black and white in mm. campaign i get that I get that but the, the thing is is Everyone says, well, you can, there's alternatives. And there is, you know, we could use coconut oil. We really could. It'd be easy. And if we use coconut oil, we, no one would criticize us at all. No one would. And that's what some of our competitors are doing. But what people don't realize is if we switch to coconut oil, the coconut oil takes four times as much land as palm oil. Mm. So you'd actually have to chop down four times as much rainforest to switch to coconut oil wow. than palm oil. That's a huge one right there, isn't it? And that's the only alternative. Mm. And so we said, okay, we're going to take a lot of flack over this, but we have to do the right thing. Because the trouble with palm oil is not the plant. In fact, people have been producing palm oil sustainably for hundreds of years. And there's little villages all around the world who've always done it, and it's that's how they make their living. And it's not a new plant. It's a very old plant. It's a very high-quality eating oil as well as a very useful oil because you don't need much land. But the problem is... is Gold rush, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Everyone's just gone nuts, you know, because people are moving away from oil. What's the, and so, therefore, they've chosen the most productive plants and they've done horrible, horrible things, right? Mm-hmm. So, really, the only um, way to do it, and our soap is a good example, is you've just got to really um, know your own supply chain, really. Yeah. And, and lots of investigations. I mean, for many, we've always done things like pay a... a self-imposed tax so the people who are doing the right thing get paid more even mm. if we weren't getting that we're still going to pay them you know we've always believed in that because sometimes with complex chemical supply chains you don't know where it's come from back in the day right but we've yeah. always paid more for it than we should have so that people who are doing the right thing can get paid we've always done that yeah but as the supply chains get more um 
sophisticated, then you can find out exactly where the mill comes from, and that mill can show you the fields come from, and you can then look at their environmental. They can, it's not just environmental, it's also how they look after the, the workers. You know? Exactly. And you guys have a huge level of transparency. Am I right in remembering it's Papua New Guinea somewhere? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and yeah, for our soap, we've gone right back, and Manny and I have visited them, and, and they've been doing it miles from, like it's thousands of miles from any orangutans, for one. Yeah. And uh, never had them there. And and they've been working there with these people so much so that the um, they've actually got things in their company that even businesses in New Zealand Australia, like they've got a group of women who go around all the employers and look into domestic violence. Wow. I mean, incredible. We're not even doing that here, are we? No, God, no. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be an incredible perk to work for a company who actually sought to seek out, identify and either heal or prosecute situations of domestic violence? The world would be a much better place. It's amazing. They've actually Mm. got the best diving and coral reefs in the world because the people actually earn enough money that they don't have to go out there with dynamite and just rape the sea. And Mm. because of that, they've just got the most, the best coral reefs in the world just off there because the people aren't so poor that they're desperate. Yes. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's the way you've got to go. I mean, it's more complex than that, and this, we've still got a lot to learn. We're still trying to get better all the time, but that's the journey that we're on. Right. Fantastic. Now, we've talked about the product itself and, and the creation of the product, but you've got some pretty cool things going on with packaging innovation too in the past couple of years, um, moving away from petroleum-based plastics in your packaging. What, what is EcoStore Package with now? Well, it's funny, all these years, you know, I mean, because we've always been living right in what I call the deep greenies, you know, so we've always, um, they've been good, they've kept us honest because they just give us, they just give us hell, you know, if we don't do the right thing. <laughs> yeah. and, and good on them, you know, it's great. And and they've always said to me, oh, Malcolm, it's all right with all these beautiful liquids, but they're all in plastic, you know, and, you know, why why you got them in plastic? And, and I said, you're right, you know, I've got no alternative, you know, you couldn't have a Shampoo and glass, could you imagine that in your shower? Mm. <laughs> the glass no, no. Just, yeah, let alone the expense. So when I had this opportunity, and I'd, I'd known about this, the Brazilians with their sugar plantations and the Japanese with their technologies and forward thinking for ages had mm. been working on this. And they'd come up with this, this new plant-based plastic substitute. And I loved it, but I actually thought, I'd never get a chance to get it because I thought, oh, the big companies are going to snap it up and I won't have a chance to get in here. Mm. But they were just too greedy, the big companies. They just couldn't, you know, they just run all by accountants and they couldn't take that little blip on their bottom line. Yeah. No way. You know, every time you do something new, you save money. You don't add money. No, you're right. Yeah. They just don't have to. You just couldn't do it. They just couldn't do it. Whereas we've actually, um, we've almost destroyed our profit by doing this. But. We don't care because we think it's the right thing to do. And once we found we had access to this, we couldn't not use it. It's just who we are. We yeah. had to use it. My car, Toyota's just released the Prius plug-in. So you can plug in your um, Prius as well. Oh, I mean, around, around the city, you're 100% electric. So I just had to get rid of my old Prius and get this one because if it's available, you've got to do it. Yeah. Know? Otherwise, you're a leader. So what this is, is that as sugar grows, like any plant, it captures carbon out of the carbon dioxide, just yep. releases the oxygen and keeps the carbon inside it. 
-hmm. And when that rots, it releases that back, and that's the cycle of life, and that's carbon neutral. So what we're doing is we're capturing the carbon and the sugar, then we're locking it into first ethyl alcohol, which the Brazilians have been using for ages to drive their cars. They've been driving their cars on sugar for a long time. Right. And they've gone to the next stage to turn it into HDPE, high-density polyethylene. The ethylene is from the ethyl alcohol, which is exactly the same chemistry as plastic users, except we have started with a plant, and they have started with a plant, but their plant is 100 million years old. Mm. (laughs) But it's just at a molecular level, they're very similar, right? And in the end, there is no way you can tell our HDPE from a plastic one from petroleum. No. The only way you can tell the difference is with carbon dating. Theirs would be, you know, 100 million years old. Ours would be like a few months old. That's the only way, that's the only difference. And the advantage of that is a number of things. Every one kg of our plastic is taking two kgs of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and locking it out of the atmosphere, keeping it out for good. As Mm -hmm. long as you recycle or even put it in the landfill, that carbon dioxide staying out. So our plastic is actually helping stop climate change. Oh, right. So you're saying, sorry, I thought you were talking about all plastics before. So one kg of this sugarcane plastic is capturing two kg of carbon. Yeah, because as the sugar's grown, it's captured that carbon and we've kept it. It hasn't rotted down. It's still captured in our plastic. Amazing. So our our sugar-based plastics are actually taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and keeping it out. Incredible. And the other good thing is all the old um, bioplastics have been around for ages we'd never used is, and they were compostable and that seemed a great idea. But for one, they had to compost at a certain high temperature for about three days and there's, there was no compost facilities in the southern hemisphere to do that. So that while they were compostable in theory, there was nowhere to do it. Mm. And the second thing, people would then throw them back into the recycling stream and they'd pollute it. And so they'd make the recycling unusable. So that was that's why we never touched those ones. Yeah, right. Whereas our one, seeing they're identical to the plastic, the petroleum plastic ones, is they they can be recycled together. So those are the two main examples. One is we're taking carbon out of the atmosphere and keeping it out. And secondly, we are keeping the integrity of the recycling industry. Yeah, nice. Well, you can't get better than that when you're coming to having to package a product. Very cool. Well, one day, we'll, hopefully, we can get it back to the same cost. It's still costing us hundreds of thousands of dollars per bottom line to do it. But we're doing it because it's the right thing, and it's making us more efficient, and we're bringing new machines to change that. And So it, that's just who EcoStore is. So you need more companies to get on board with this packaging so that you can create a bigger market and therefore lower the price that way. And we put that out to any company who wants to follow our lead, and we've done some have already, we we give them all our intellectual property, we give them the good price, we tell them who to talk to. That's what we do. We're, mm. we're not doing this to have a commercial advantage, we're doing it to try and change the world. Yeah, beautiful. So we're, we're actively trying to get other companies to, to, to join us. Well, hopefully there are some companies listening today, maybe even some <laughs> budding entrepreneurs starting their products for the very first time, and uh, and they know what to choose. Yeah. And I think if you build it, the beauty is if you're starting, you can build it into your pricing model from day one. So it's just how it is. Yeah. Now, obviously, EcoStore is now rather massive. So um, tick, goal achieved, uh, so that you can now 
still be the brand ambassador, still be a huge part of the business in terms of inception and rollouts and, and creative ideas, but you're really proud of and wanting to move a lot of your work towards the Fairground Foundation, which is what you um, you call the, the foundation, Fairground. Now, can you tell us what Fairground actually means? Why is the foundation called that? Yeah, well, it goes back to, I mean, I'm, I'm a cultural guy. I mean, I love the two words, fair. Mm. I mean, you know, us here in Australasia, we, we, we want everyone to have a fair go, you know. You know, we, it's quite important to us. And the word ground is very important to me, you know, being grounded. Mm-hmm. So two beautiful words. But if you go back in our, um, our history back in Europe, the fair ground is where we all came together. That was where the commerce was. That's where the entertainers all came there. Even politics were there, like the old Punch and Judy show. Everyone knew that that one was really the um, the Earl and the other one was the, the Duke's wife. And they were, you know, <laughs> it was all sorts of... So everyone came together at the Fairground. And yeah. that's where Fairground Foundation. So it's a mixture of arts and business all comes together at the Fairground. So it sounds like it's a beautiful kind of summation of your whole career, your village living. It sounds like you've kind of managed to make everything very, very personal in terms of naming it that? I think that's the only thing you've got is personal. I mean, yeah. you can say oh, other people might like this, but mm. the only only person you know 100% who is going to like it is yourself. Yeah. So I think it's very... <laughs> <laughs> well, if so, you've got to work in it every day, you might as well, <laughs> you should like it. Because yeah. I often see people, they do things because they think other people will like it. Yes. But they don't like it. But yeah. all they know is what they like. Yeah. Totally. I love it. Now, what are you working on? What's exciting so far? Well, the, the classic fairground project is, is, is actually, it's really a place for new social enterprises to bubble up out of mm-hmm. in a safe, supported financial situation. And and the classic one is the one I'm doing. And funnily enough, this was the one that 23 years ago I was thinking about doing instead of EcoStore was actually becoming a property developer, believe it or not. Wow. And setting up downtown Auckland, Sydney, Melbourne, places where people can live, where they will have a quality home. It'll be incredibly green. So it will, uh, in you know, power and water and things like that, of course, and materials. It'll be close to green space, which is so important to us. It'll be included. But the main reason, and this is from my 30 years living in Eco Village, is that it will be a proper neighbourhood where you feel you belong. And right. that's the most important thing. The biggest health thing on the planet, believe it or not, is not toxins. Mm. The biggest health problem on the planet in the Western world is actually loneliness. Yeah. It's worse than a pack of cigarettes and a half a bottle of whiskey mm-hmm. to your health being lonely. Which you'll probably and be smoking and drinking that much if you're feeling. You have that as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. Hit. No, right, but it's yeah. it's so important, right? Loneliness and stress are two big things that no one talks about, but they're huge silent killers. Agreed. And the reason that that the humans were the ones that won the evolution race is we were the only mammal that could work together really well in groups of twenty five or more. We are actually extended family. We're village people. We need each other, and we're really good at it. And for the last 150 years, we've been split up into homes, which are all about privacy, groups of people, which is just mum, dad, and the kids, not the extended family anymore. And now even that's disappearing. Lots of people living by themselves. So in this place, 
we're calling it bump space. And you'll be very hard to get out of your car or your bicycle and walk to your front door without bumping into your neighbours, just casually. So you're saying you design it in such a way that it actually creates more likelihood of bumping into people. Exactly right. Instead of the opposite. Cool. We actually make that. And, and before you know it, you'll know their names. Before you know it, you'll ask them to feed the cat while you're away. Before you know it, they'll be looking after the kids so you can go to the movies. And one day you think, God, I live in an actual neighbourhood where I belong. Yeah, that whole it takes a village thing actually can be a reality. It can be a reality and we can do it today. And, and we're working on one now in Auckland and I'd love to do it in Sydney or Melbourne as well. So in Auckland and New Zealand, I'm just starting to raise all those issues around loneliness and stress and things and, and how housing is now as, as, as information pieces. We're building, we're just um, going to be building soon. Oh, wow. Exciting. We'll sell out. This is this is the model of, the, of Fairground. We'll sell out. We have a waiting list for the next one. But the most important thing is we'll make lots of money doing it. And why that's important is not because we are greedy, but if we can do that, then all the other property developers will go, God, if that idiot Rands can do it, imagine if a real expert had a crack at this. Yeah. <laughs> and if we were a business, we'd have all developed all these amazing ideas and in intellectual property. And we'd keep that close to our chest. So yes. keep eating our competitors. But we'll that's not foundation. your vibe. If we'll see where foundation will say, yes, if you want to do it, here's all our secrets, here's our IP, here's our supply chain, here's all the mistakes we made. And we'll actually use success in business to create the world we want to do. And that's what Fairground's all about. Love it. And because it's a not-for-profit trust, right? So it's even though it will be making money, it will then be helping either other businesses or future development projects. Well, what we're actually going to do is, is once we've done it through the trust, a lot of people will still won't trust that. They say, it's all right for you, you're not paying tax, you've got all these people helping you. So we will actually set up a company called Bump Space and do it completely as a normal business. Ah. And when that's successful, a percentage of profit from that, then we'll go back to Fairground and just help the whole family grow so we can do more and more good. Amazing. So good. Now, I'm going to wrap up with uh, something that I read about what your work motto is, and that is imagine the future and do it now. And I think it's really interesting to explore this idea in turn, like not everybody listening today is listening to this because they're a business person. There's many people who are just interested in learning about companies doing exciting things for people for planet. So, from a personal life perspective to achieve what we want to, I'd love to know if you've got any practical tips on how to actually start operating this way with conviction in our own lives because often the lizard brain holds us back from action, you know, whether it's something around exercising more or finally getting onto that renovation. I mean, there are a million things that we put off, put off, put off, but if we can imagine the future and do it now and, and we can actually harness an energy that makes us do that, how, how do you think you're able to do that and how do you think you can help others do that? Well, the, um, my two biggest things I've done, one which was starting up the Eco Village and secondly starting up the Eco Store Fairground thing, I did the same thing. One, I just spent a lot of time just really thinking, you know, who I am, what's important to me, what turns me on, what turns me off, what motivates me, what, you know, really understanding yourself quite a lot, you know, and taking time out actually to do that. And that's, most of us don't do that. You know? mm. And then in both situations, then I actually did a mind map on a big piece of paper and I had little 
pictures of different parts of it. And so, so you could actually make it out of your brain and actually onto something solid yeah. with, with visuals. And so you can actually start really, you're actually creating something already. You've actually created something. Yeah. It's got out of your head. And even if it's on a piece of paper, you have created it. And then, wow, how powerful. I mean, that mind map I did for EcoStore Fairground, we're still on that map. 23 years later, it's still better. It's still better. That's how powerful it is. Absolutely. And it's it's that old thing of, you know, how much are you working inside your life versus how much you're working on your life. And we should all be taking a healthy amount of time to work on our lives and check in with ourselves. It's, yeah, such a such a powerful thing to do. Even to do some values work with a coach, I've done that myself and I learnt things about myself in that process that I, I had never bubbled to the consciousness ever. I agree. You know, people are afraid of, of going to other people and that we've got things to hide and we're not proud of ourselves and, you know, and we're you know, shy. Get over it because, I mean, I was all those things. Mm. Um, but every time I've, I've gone to someone, you know, who's a professional in this and, and their empathy and their love, I mean, it's just so creative for yourself. Mm, totally. Oh, what a beautiful way to end. Malcolm, thank you so much for the chat today. It was awesome. I feel like we have sort of gone through all sorts of different things in this in this chat. Is there anything you want to finish today with? I normally actually finish with what you told me to say. I just, <laughs> yeah, that, I just sit in a room and, and just look in your head, visualize what a perfect future will be like just sit there and say you know so much so you can see the colors you can see who you're worth you can see you know what's outside your window visualize it that much and then say wow that's amazing let's do that now i love it no better way to finish thanks malcolm i'll speak to you soon lovely thank you Thank you so much for joining me for today's show. Check out the show notes at lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast. And if you wanted to maybe share a quote and something that really jumped out for you, you can find us on Instagram at lowtoxlife or simply hashtag lowtoxlife across social media. I absolutely love bringing you the show. Thank you for any of the star ratings or one-line reviews that you guys have left. It helps me know what you've been loving and what you'd love to see more of. I'll see you next week. Jack Rabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.